Let me welcome everyone to Grace Point Church. I'm the pastor, Mike McDaniel. If it's the first time with us or you've been with us the past couple of weeks, I'm sorry I've not been with you. Last week I've been on a week of vacation. I've taken another week of vacation this week uh, to continue to work on my doctorate. I'm in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, uh, actually, and studying uh, the last church, hopefully, in my uh, doctoral research and look forward to being back with you next week as we start a new series of messages. I've been enjoying uh, my doctoral research, and a lot of what I've been studying are, are very effective churches from coast to coast and how they're doing uh, missions locally and globally. Well, one of the things that has, has certainly come out in my research is that churches are a leadership pipeline for church planting and church development of future leaders uh, throughout the world. And one of the things that we've adopted in our new budget year, and I'm glad that you all are supporting this in your tithes and offerings, is a pastor apprenticeship program. And I am so excited to be able to introduce to you, though I wish I was with you, to be able to introduce to you via the video our first apprentice in our apprenticeship program, and that being Pete Finfrock. Pete has been in our church for three or four years now. He has been faithful. He is with us at the high school. He has been serving with us faithfully uh, here in our, at our campus. He has been around the world, recently spending a, a month with Emily, his wife, in Guinea-Bissau. And he feels a direct, clear call from God into full-time vocational ministry. So I'm going to have the privilege of working with him for the next six to nine months side-by-side side with me on various pastoral ministry elements in hopes that he will turn around as God leads him to pastor and plant churches himself. He'll be sharing with us today, this is his first message, pray for him and support him and encourage him as I know you will as he shares with God, from God's word today. My wife and I have been praying for a long time. We're saying, God, what is the next step for us? Before Mike came to me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing this apprenticeship, we were praying. We're saying, Lord, you have to open a door for us because we don't even know. We don't know what the next step is. Mike came, and, and I could go through a list, um, a long list of, of prayers that, that we had been praying that were answered because of this. So before we get started, it would be very, very appropriate to, to open in prayer and just ask for the Lord to speak to us. Pray with me. Um, Lord, my words definitely are not enough, um, but yours are. And we need you to speak to us. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, God. I pray that your, uh, your word would be as a sword, which is what um, it tells us it is, God. That um, it would do more than just be a good feeling, God. That it would be more than just, uh, you know, another Sunday. Lord, we need to hear from you and we need you to change our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, as Mike said, and as most of you know, my wife and I recently returned from Guinea-Bissau. Guinea-Bissau is a small country on the west coast of Africa, and just through uh, several connections that we have, we decided to go and do some mission work there. And, and as Mike said also, that we've done uh, lots of traveling. We've been to many different countries, and, and most of that has been uh, to do mission work, to, to share Jesus Christ with people who don't know him. And on this trip... I had an opportunity to meet a man who had a story that was unique from any person that I'd ever met. Um, I had heard stories of, of people who had a similar story to him, but I'd never met someone. And so I want to, uh, I'm going to start out and tell, tell you guys just a little bit about him. I have a picture of, of me and this guy. This is a man named Fode. 
And as you can see, he is a very, very small man. Um, but as, as when, when, when we went to Guinea-Bissau and began to do our work there, I kept hearing this guy's name. I kept hearing Fode this, Fode that, Fode this. And, and everything that I heard about Fode was all about how much he loved Jesus and just his testimony and all these, just how, how he's just such a powerful man of God. And so finally I was like, man, I'm sick of hearing stories about this guy. I want to meet him. And so through the missionaries that were there, I set up a meeting with Fode. And this is actually taken directly after our meeting. Uh, we had lunch together, and there, there were two things that I first noticed about Fode. The first was, and it may be hard to tell in this picture, but his mouth. His, physically, there was something wrong with his mouth, and I was like, man, what, that's weird. And as we ate lunch, he would, he would barely even open his mouth. He was just like kind of sticking this fork in there. And I was like, man, what is wrong with this guy? But then as, as we began to talk and we began uh, to, to just share our lives together, he began, uh, he, he just, Jesus was all over this guy. All that he talked about was Jesus. It wasn't about how bad his life was. As you, I mean, if you look at his clothes, that's like an everyday thing for him. And he doesn't have nice clothes. He doesn't have all these things. He was just talking, man, it's Jesus this, Jesus that. And I was like, man, finally I got to a point where I said, Fode, man, what is your testimony? I want to hear about, you know, man, when Jesus saved you. Tell me a little bit about that. And so Fode, and I'll, I'll try to get through this pretty quickly, but Fode grew up in a village outside of Basel. Basel is the capital city of Guinea-Bissau, which is where we were doing our work. And he, he, he grew up about, I think it was about 10 kilometers outside, and he grew up in a tribe that was 99.99% Muslim. There were only two or three believers in their entire tribe, and at that time they didn't even know like where those believers were. So that they had heard that there were people who were following Jesus, but they're just out somewhere. And when he was 17 years old, and I'm not exactly sure how old he is in this picture, but when he was 17, some missionaries came through their village and told the story of creation to Christ, which is actually the story that when we go to Mali, when we do mission work, and, and what it is, it's just it's a really fast, brief story that takes you from the creation of the world all the way to, um, to when Jesus died for our sins. And that, that's the way you do it in their culture. You don't go and share the Romans road. You don't do that. Most of those people, they don't even know who Jesus is. And so the missionaries came through, told him the story of creation to Christ, and Fode um, said yes to Jesus. So he became like the third or fourth believer in this entire tribe. And he, as, he, as Fode began to grow in his faith, um, naturally what happens if you grow in your faith, it, it becomes an overflow of your life, and you begin to tell other people about Jesus. And so if you are in a tribe that's 99.99% Muslim and you're telling them a different belief that you have, they're not going to like that, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way things work. And so um, the, his, Fode's biggest opposition to what he believed became his family. And so Fode began to tell me about how every Sunday he would get up and go to church, just like we do Sunday and we're at church, and, but the closest church to him was about uh, five kilometers away, which, you know, you guys do the math. I'm not exactly sure. I know it's five, six, seven miles, something like that. And the way that he got there is he would walk to church. And as he began to share his faith and, and, and he began to grow in the Lord, his family didn't like it, people in the tribe didn't like it. So every Saturday night, Fode would go to sleep, and early in the morning, his door would get kicked in by his older brother, his mom and his two uncles. 
And what they would do is they would come in with clubs and they would beat him across the body. They would beat him across the legs. They would beat him across the arms. They would beat him in the head because he believed in Jesus. And I, I told you that Fode's mouth was just really jacked up. There was something that was wrong with it. I was like, man, what is going on? Fode's missing the entire top row of his teeth on one side from being hit in the face with a club by someone in his family because he followed Jesus. And so, and a lot of us, man, we've heard stories about the persecuted church. We've, we've heard, you know, just stories from all over the world of people who, who it cost them something to follow Jesus. And, but, man, for me, I'd heard those stories, but I'm sitting face to face. I'm looking at this guy and I'm going, man, dude, you, you are just, you're something awesome. I mean, because I don't, I don't know if I would do that. So, I, you know, people say, man, don't compare your lives to other people. Don't do this and don't do that. But, man, the only thing that I could do is I was just sitting there going, man, Jesus to Fode and Jesus to me, I think they're two different things. It, it, it seems like Jesus has more value to him. Like, his worth is more because it moves him to do this. And I'm not, I don't say that, that, uh, that Fode loves Jesus more because he goes through persecution. Man, we live in the United States and we are blessed and, and thank Jesus for that. But I go... Man, when, whenever I have hard times, whenever I'm going through these difficult times, I go, man, I just kind of like step back from Jesus and I just kind of do things myself. You know, you know what I mean? And that's just the way it works. And Fode is getting beaten and, and just beat up. And I said, Fode, I go, man, what? Why would you go through that? Like the, the very first question that I would have if someone came in while I was asleep and started hitting me with sticks, my first question would be like, is it worth it? Right? That would be the first thing. I'd be like, okay, man. I'd start evaluating my life. I'd say, is, is what I'm being abused for really worth taking this? And it happened for a year straight. Every Saturday night, they would come in and they would just beat him. And the next day, Bode would either, he would get up and he would either walk to church, he would crawl to church, he would drag himself to church. I just go, I go Bode, what, what was it? Why would you do that? And he said, because Jesus loved me. And again, I go back and I just go, man, I know Jesus loves me too. But I, I think it's something different to him. Because he's going through this persecution, he's going through this abuse. And, and again, I have these small little problems. And when that happens, I step back and I go, man, what, what is going on? So as, as I'm sitting in West Africa, and, and Fode and I leave, we part ways, I'm just going, man, the Lord just starts working on my heart. He starts working on my mind, and I go, Man, who, who is Jesus to me? That's what I'm asking. Like, who is Jesus to Pete Finfrock? Is, is he worth that? Would he, if I were in West Africa and that started happening to me, would Jesus be worth going through that? And I'm asking questions. I'm going, man, why is Fode like this? Why am I like this? And, and as I'm sitting in my bed that night, um, I just open the Word, and, and here's the Word that the Lord gives me. It's in 2 Corinthians um, 5, verse 14 and 15. I'm going to turn there real fast. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. Mike reads out of the ESV, so just, just follow along if you can. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is Paul writing a letter to the Corinthian church. He goes, for Christ's love compels us. If, and listen to me, if you guys are reading it in the ESV, it has a better word. It says, for Christ's love controls us. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so I'm sitting in West Africa and I'm, I'm having this 
Bode's life just kind of play out in front of me. I'm wrestling with the Lord. I'm going, all this different stuff. And I, I'm going, why would Fode be like this and why wouldn't I? And here, here's what the Lord shows me. Is that Christ's love compels Fode. What's Christ's love? Man, what he did on the cross. What we sang about today. Whenever he was just beaten and bruised and crucified for the sins of the world. So, so Fode has, he has a revelation and an understanding. Something, um, it's, and as Jared said last week, it's not a tattoo. It's not, you know, a necklace that we wear. It's not this thing. It, it's something that's real to him. And it's, if you read it in the SV, the word is, it controls Fode's life. It's not just something. It's not just something we talk about. It's not something we sing about. It, it, it's a moving force in his life. It's the driving force of his life. The second thing that the Lord was showing me uh, in this scripture is that Jesus died that we should no longer live for ourselves but for him. Right? We know that. We, we know that, that when Jesus died, he's saying, man, it's not, it's not just about you anymore, man. I died for your sins. And that's what Fode is doing. Fode's not living for Fode because if he were, he wouldn't take the persecution, right? And he, he would, he'd be getting hit with those sticks and the first time he'd be like, whoa, dude. I'm living for me. I'm, I'm not going to take that anymore. That's, that's a little too much. And so again, man, after the Lord shows me these scriptures, I'm going, man, what? I don't know. You know, I'm just wrestling. I'm having this in, internal battle, and it's just hitting, it's hitting. And here's what the Lord starts speaking to me. He says, where do I fit into your life? Where does the cross fit in? Who, what compels your life? What moves you? Who, you say you're a Christian, but your life looks like this. Fode says he is a Christian, and his life looks like this. And, and again, I'm not saying because of the persecution. I'm saying because of his commitment to Christ. And so as, as I'm pondering that, and I'm going, man, who, who is Jesus to me? Where does he fit in? Who, who is he to me? Jesus says, you need to make me a priority in your life rather than a position. That's if you're filling out your, your little thing, that's the, that is the first. Jesus Christ must become a priority over a position in our life. What do I mean by that? Everybody in here plays, we have, we have different roles in our life. We have, some of us are fathers, husbands, we have a role at work, uh, just all these different things. You guys know what I'm talking about. And, and as we go through life, these, these, posi- these roles that we play take different positions in our life. Sometimes it's our job. If we have deadlines to meet, if there's pressure at work, if there's all these things, then typically our job takes the first position. Right? It's, it's the moving force of our life. That's where we're like, okay, everything's focused around it. Kind of the things at home kind of take a back seat. But, and, and here's what this, this verse is saying. is Jesus has to become a priority in, in our life. If he's number one, then everything else is going to fit in it. Nothing else is going to matter. If, if our job is number one, listen, I, I think everybody here knows that, that when we're in first place in our life, at least me, I, man, I could tell you all kinds of stories about when Pete Finfrock was number one in his life or in my life. And it was a train wreck, I mean, just a mess. And so there is the, uh, the first thing. Jesus Christ must become a priority rather than a position. Um, if you would turn with me to Luke 14, 25 through 35. So as, as I'm looking, man, this is, I know it's kind of a long story and it's all meshed together, but I'm, I'm just... I'm sitting in West Africa, and I'm just wrecked up with my life. I'm going, man, who is Jesus to me? Because I am. I feel like God's called me to the ministry. I feel like he's done all these things to me. But in the end, I'm looking at my life, and I'm going, man, is, what is Jesus calling me to? 
if I'm, if I'm not supposed to live for myself, if I'm supposed to live for Jesus and He's supposed to be number one in my life, what does that look like? That should be the first question that I ask. It, what, what's the cost of this? Right? That's any time that, that something is, is given to us or we say, okay, this, I'm going to take a next step in my life, we, usually we reflect on that. We go, what, what does this mean for my life? And so as, as I was looking through this and I was going, okay, Jesus tells me for him to be number one, for, for me to be number two, what does that look like? And, and here, well, before we jump into it, I want to tell you just a little bit of what's going on in this. Jesus is in the full swing of his ministry. He's been healing people. He's been speaking like no one has ever heard, right? Because he's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He's on earth. And so what's going on is all these people are coming to Jesus. And Jesus is traveling around. Um, and there's just flocks and flocks and flocks and flocks of people. As we read through uh, some scriptures before this, we find that Jesus is on his last leg of his life, on his last leg of ministry. It says he turns his face to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a place where he's going to be beaten, crushed, uh, crucified, and in the end raised three days later. And so as Jesus is going along and all these people are going with him, he's looking at the cross and he's going, man, I'm going over here to die. And, but in the end, I mean, there's all these, all these people are coming and, and there's, there's stories leading up to this where people are going, Jesus, how many, people, how many people are going to be saved? How many people are going to enter your kingdom? And here's what Jesus says. He said, man, if you want to come into my house, if you want to be in my kingdom, he said, the gate's small. It's really small, and there's going to be very few people who are going to enter through it. And they go, but Jesus, well, I mean, what about all these people? We're sitting around, we're listening to you speak, you're talking to us, we're eating with you, we know all about you, why would you not let us in? And Jesus says, you don't know who I am. It's, man, one of the scariest verses in the Bible. When I look at it, I go, man, I just, I don't know, because I come here and I sit in church and I hear all about Jesus and I... And then I hear all these stories about him. Jesus says, it's not enough to know about me. It's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to sing songs. It's not enough to hear about the cross. If you don't know who I am, you're not going to enter into my house. And so as, as Jesus, he's walking to the cross, he's seeing that he's going to his death. It's almost like he's saying, he's trying to get people to be like, man, you need to look at what's going on here. Like may, maybe you need to reevaluate what's going on. And so he comes to this place. He, he, they're walking through and he's telling all these stories. Uh, he's, you know, he's healing people, telling stories, and, and here, here's where we come to. Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. So as, 
again, as I'm, as I'm going through this and I'm evaluating, I'm saying, Jesus, what, like, what does it mean to follow you? What is the cost? Because I want to. I want to follow you. But, but really, if I'm going to sit down and say, okay, this is going to be the thing that compels my life. If I'm not supposed to live for myself, if I'm supposed to live for Jesus, what does that mean? Here's, here's the first point if you're following along in your bulletin. No person before Jesus. No person before Jesus. Look again with me in, in uh, verse 26. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, is, what's Jesus saying here? Is Jesus saying that we, we have to despise our mom and our dad and our brother and sisters? Is that what he's saying? No. I mean, we see in the Bible, Jesus says, honor your father and your mother. Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love other people. So, so that doesn't really line up. We're not supposed to hate them. Jesus says, here's what I think Jesus is saying. Jesus, Jesus is saying that you're not supposed to love anyone more than you love me. Love me more than you love your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. Because here's what I, di- here's what I did for you. I died on the cross for you to give you hope and eternal life. Who does that include? When Jesus says, hate everybody, or or to to put him first, who does that include? That first off, it it includes yourself. Is anyone here familiar with the name Cassie Bernal? Anybody? I was listening to a guy speak this week, and he said that, and he said that name, and I was like, Cassie Bernal, who is that? And it it sort of, it it rang a bell. I said, oh man, that's, that's who that is. April 20th, 1999 in Littleton, Colorado, Columbine High School, a girl named Cassie Bernal is sitting in the library at her high school. Two guys, Eric Harris, Dylan Klebold, walk into the school, kick the library door open, trench coats, shotguns, pistols, and they start shooting people. Going down the line, killing high school kids left and right. right? I mean, most people here remember that on the news. I remember exactly where I was, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. If you've seen the video, it's the most, one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. Cassie Bernal stands up in her high school, in the library, as these men are going around shooting her classmates. They stick a gun to her head, and they say, do you believe in Jesus? Anybody know what her answer is? She said, yes. I, man, I, I believe in Jesus. And they blew her head off right there in front of everybody. John Randall's. Is a, is a guy who I listen to. I know some, some people in here are familiar with him. He said, when the pressure of life comes, when you get squeezed in your life, who, whoever is number one in your life is going to come out. See, Cassie Bernal, if, if she was number one and Jesus was number two in her life and somebody held a gun to her head, I promise you, the first thing that she would have said is, do you believe in Jesus? Her answer would have been no. Like, no, dude. I don't believe in Jesus. I mean, who, who is this guy? But you see... Jesus was the controlling force in her life. She didn't just talk about Jesus. The cross wasn't a necklace that she wore. It wasn't just something that she talked about. Jesus was number one, and it came out. And Cassie Bernal became a martyr for the name of Jesus Christ. Who else does this include? This also includes other people. I want to go back to Fode's life real fast. When when Fode and... Well, let me back up just a little bit. Fode uh, was telling me that after, after about two years of him just, or no, it was one year, after one year of him getting beaten and persecuted by his family, he decided, he was like, man, this is enough. And he, he had two choices, either leave Jesus or leave his family. 
And so what he did was he left his family. He moved into the city, and uh, about two years after he moved into the city, his brother, who was kind of the ringleader of him, of beating him up, shows up to where he is. And Fode's like, what are you doing here? He said, man, I want to tell you a story. But I want to tell you what happened to me. He said, the same missionaries who came through, the, came through our village whenever you were there and you gave your life to Jesus, he said, they came back through. And they began to tell us again the story of creation to the cross. And as they were telling us, he said they were talking about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made and his love for us and, and all these different things. He said, the only person that I could see was you. He said, he said they, I mean, they were talking about Jesus and, and, and I, I'd heard about him, but man, he said, when, when they were talking about him and his the life and sacrifice and his love, he said, I was thinking about you. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And so anyways, his brother wound up giving his life to the Lord. And as, as we are parting ways, Fode and I, we weren't going to see each other. I said, hey, man, I would love to get with you tomorrow. Is, is there a way that we can eat lunch? We can do something like that? And he said, no. He said, my brother's graduating from college. And I said, really? I said, your, your brother who is like persecuting you and stuff? He said, yeah. I said, where is he graduating from? He said, Bible college. Said, okay, so your brother who used to persecute you, and just now became a believer. He's graduating from Bible college. I was like, well, that doesn't really line up. I said, so, so that's, I mean, what, what happened? He said, man, after, after he got saved, God just started just messing up his life. He said, the love of Christ filled him so much, God called him to be a pastor. And I was like, man, what, what do you think about that? What, is, what does that do for you when you think about those things? And he said, Here, here's what I think. He said, when I see my brother, he said, I think he's the next Apostle Paul. You know, Apostle Paul is the, the guy who used to beat and kill Christians and do all that. And because of God's grace and his mercy and his love in his life, his brother's going to be a pastor now. Now, guys, why, why does Jesus say to put him first and to, and to put ourselves second or to put other people second? It's not because Jesus is like, man, I'm the coolest. You know, put me first because I'm cool, man. Here's why he does it. Jesus says, it, Jesus says, put me first because he's the one who can change people's lives. He can change. He can give them hope. He, first off, He can give them grace. I mean, amen for grace, because no telling where any of us would be if it weren't for that. He can change their lives. He can give them a hope. He can give them a future. And that's what, that's what Fode did. And, and his brother, whenever they put Jesus Christ first, lives were changed. Number two, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? No purpose before Him. Colossians 1.16 says, We were made by Jesus, and we were made for Him. Last week we sang, we sang a song that I hadn't heard in a long time. It says, You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. And as we were singing that, I was just going, Yes, Lord. Our purpose in life is for Jesus Christ. Because here, if... If you guys were going to, or say you had a Mac, or you had an iPod, or you had an iPhone, or one of those things, and you wanted to know the purpose, if you wanted to know, man, how does this thing work? And they said, you have one person who you can call, anybody in the world who you can call, to, to show you how to run this thing, who would you say? Anybody? Anybody own a Mac, an iPod, an iPhone, anything like that? Okay, no. You'd call Steve Jobs. He, he's the guy who, who's in charge of everything. He knows how all of that stuff works. And it's the, it's the same way in our Christian life, is if we were made by Jesus and we were made for Him, that means without Him, we can't be at our full capacity of life. And 
So as, I'm, as we're singing that song and it's saying, you know, you're the potter, I'm the clay, mold me and make me, this is what I pray. I'm saying, Lord, this, this is what we need to be thinking and praying. If, we, if our lives are not in God's hands, if our lives are in our hands, then we're totally missing it. Because God, just like Steve Jobs and, and all the guys who work for Mac, they invented the Mac, they invented the iPhone, the iPod, all these different things. God is the inventor, right? He's the creator of the human. And so if we say, man, how, how do I work? How do I function? I, what, what is my purpose in life? We need to say, God, we need to be in God's hands. Are you guys with me on that? Okay. Number three, we're going through this fast. If we are to follow Jesus, we are to have no possession before Him. Look at verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Is, is Jesus telling us in this scripture that we need to go and sell every single thing that we have? You need, you need to go home right now. You need to sell your house. You need to sell your car. You need to, to sell all this stuff. Is that what Jesus is saying? Man, I, I don't think that's what he is saying. But here's what I think he's saying. I think sometimes he calls us to do that. You can ask Mike and Lori McDaniel. You can ask... You can ask people who have moved halfway across the world, man, what does Jesus call you to? And he said, this is what he called me to. He called me to sell every single thing that I have um, for his name. And, and as I was, I was like, man, no, pe- no possession before Jesus. I was like, man, what, what, what's an example of that in my life and, and, and of how that's worked? And my wife and I are, are currently in the process of trying to buy a home. And we, we've kind of been going through it for the last month. And we, about two weeks ago, we found a home that we really liked. And we were just like, man, this is it. And we were praying. We are like, okay, Lord, this, is, this seems to be the one. And we're using a, a real estate agent who we know who is, man, he is a godly, godly man, a guy who's become a good friend of mine. And, I, man, I love this guy, guy to death. And he's just really trustworthy. He's, he's just one of them guys who I like being around. So... As we're going through this home, we, we make an offer on a house and then a counter offer, and you know how all that works. And w- finally, we, we came to a conclusion like, okay, we're going we're gonna to accept their counter offer. And so we signed off on it. And as we, as we signed off on it, we start get the ball rolling. You know, we start putting some money down. We're investing just all these different things into this home. And my real estate agent calls me back. And he goes, Pete, he said, man, I got some bad news. I'm like, what's that? He said, Man, he said, I made, he said, I made a big mistake in the contract. And he said, it's either, it's either going to cost you your home or it's going to wind up costing you a lot of money. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. So I, I call my wife, and we start talking, and we're going, man, what, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? And, and again, this, this guy who we're working with, is, man, he loves the Lord. I've heard testimonies about him. I've, I've seen his life. His wife loves the Lord. So a couple days later... Um, guy winds up calling me back and he goes pete he said here's the deal that i told you it was going to cost you a lot of money and here's what i did he said instead of you you coughing up the money he said i decided to go ahead and pay it and this this amount of money is a very significant amount at least to me i was going it's a huge amount he goes this he said i'm going to pay it for you and as, as i'm preparing for the sermon and jesus says man don't put any possession before you this is what it costs to be my disciple whether it's money, whether it's a house, whether it's just all this different stuff. I look at this guy's life and I go, man, it's only because of Jesus. And I, I went to his office the next day and I said, dude, I said, 
It is because you love Jesus, because you put Jesus first that you would do that, because most other people, and, and here's the thing, is he had other real estate agents telling him, he said, Man, just let them count the loss, you know? And that's just, that's part of it. You know, people mess up, we mess up, whatever. He said, they're the ones who need to, need to pay for it and all this stuff. And he said, no, dude, that, that's not the way I roll. He said, Jesus is first in my life, so I have no possession before him. As, um, as I'm going through this and I'm saying, man, what, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And, Gary, you guys can go ahead and come back up. I'm, I'm looking at the cross and we're singing about the cross today and all this stuff. And I'm saying, man, Lord, is this... I, this, this is my first time to preach at Grace Point. I was going, this isn't what I want to really speak about. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, hey, guys, here, here's Jesus. Put him in front of everything you have and I don't even know who you are. So, I mean, we could, you know, we could go through and we could water down the scripture. We could, we could do all this stuff. But I just go, man, like this is what Jesus is calling us to. And it's not because of what I say. It's because of what the Word of God says. And so I'm wrestling through this. And I don't know, maybe God spoke to some of you guys. And, and maybe some of you guys, he didn't. But I go, man, this is, this is the way that I want to live my life. I want to put Jesus first. Just, just like my real estate agent, how he said, man, there's... It, it may cost a ton of money. It may do all this. But man, Jesus Christ is first in my life because you know what? The cross means something more to him than a tattoo or a, or a necklace. So here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And man, it's, you guys can do whatever you want. The altar's open. You can, you can sit there and you can pray. You can, man, if you're just saying, God, just speak to me, man. Just, I want the cross to mean something more to me than, than just all the stuff the world says it is. Then uh, I, I urge you, man, just don't let this time pass you by. Pray with me. Lord, I I am grateful for the cross and for Jesus. Uh, Man, I pray. I pray that you would be something more to us than than just all the stuff the world says that you are. Lord, that you would be a compelling, a controlling force in our life. Lord, that you would would move our hearts to love you. Lord, because I know that's where I'm I'm saying, Lord, I want to love you, I want to love you, but man, what... I look at my life and it looks like two different things. So God, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would show us who you are and just be uh, more to us now today than you were yesterday. Amen.